What's up, plant people? How's it going? Happy Tuesday. Or I guess it doesn't have to be Tuesday. Happy whatever day you are listening to this podcast. That is the the beautiful thing about podcasts is they're evergreen, just like a tree, just like a wonderful Leyland Cypress that grows majestically in your yard. Podcasts are evergreen, and they are there when you need them and when you want them. So I encourage you to listen often and regularly and to encourage your friends to, to do the same thing. I'm trying something new today. Uh, it's a small change, but um, I'm talking at you before you hear any jangly happy music. Is that too much? Are you not jangly and happy enough to hear my voice yet? Tell me what you think. Uh, I'm still dialing in the way I want to run this podcast and the way that I want things to sound, and, and your input means a lot to me. So tell me what you think. Drop me a line. Write me a review. Send me a message on the Face Space or the Insta Snap or the Gramstagram or whatever it is that you're on these days. Um, okay, have I rambled at you enough? I think I probably have. I'm glad to have you with me today. Uh, this is Vikram Baliga. I am the host of the Planthropology Podcast, and we are on episode four. We've made it to episode four, that is. Um, today, I interviewed a friend and colleague of mine, Russ Plowman. So Russ is an instructor of horticulture here at the Texas Tech University Department of Plant and Soil Sciences. He leads our floral design program. He's a researcher on ornamental plants and uh, just a really cool guy. He has done a little bit of everything in the plant world throughout his career. So I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation with him. A couple more housekeeping things. Um, I hope you are, uh, like I mentioned, reviewing us and rating us and giving us feedback on anywhere you can and everywhere you can. I really want to hear from you, and I want to make this a show that you like to listen to as much as I like to make. So whether you're listening on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts or... I don't know if you can review on Spotify yet, but that's coming eventually, or CastBox or wherever else... um, Rate, review, tell your friends. Um, You can even review us on Podchaser, which is a new cool service that's kind of like, as they say, the IMDb of podcasts. So you can see where your favorite podcasters have uh, been guests on different shows, um, what they do on their show, and everything else. You can kind of get the credits for your favorite podcast. So review us, rate us, share us with your friends. But without too much more preamble and ramble, which is a thing I like to do well, Here's episode four uh, with Russ Plowman of Texas Tech University. Again, thanks for listening. Glad to have you with us. All right. Well, thanks for being on, Russ. Well, you're welcome. It's Um, good to be here. Yeah. So, uh... Tell me about yourself. Tell me like uh, what you do here at Texas Tech. You know, I, I kind of introduced you a little bit in the in the opening, but I'd like to hear you know your role and what you. Uh, uh, I am an here. instructor here at Texas Tech University. I've taught principles of horticulture fourteen eleven. I teach floral design right now. I got it uh, accepted as a core curriculum class, so. Uh, we have students from all over the university taking that class. I've also taught arboriculture and garden center and nursery management. So like pretty much everything. Yes. In, in horticulture. Yes. <laughs> I've done a little bit of everything. I have. So, uh, yeah. So that, that floral design class is super popular. Um, it seems like, you know, there's, I don't know if there's a waiting list, but it seems like there's always people that are trying hard to get into this class. Like how did that start? We do have a waiting list. It started a long time ago as an elective. 
And so it was offered every other spring. We always had 20 students in it and it was a two hour class. Okay. But it was so popular and I knew that we could do a lot with that. And with departments um, growing and expanding, I wanted it as a core curriculum in the fine arts. And so I, Cynthia and I, Cynthia McKinney, Dr. McKinney and I worked to get uh, floral design accepted as a three-hour core curriculum in the fine arts and once that happened we went from 20 uh, every other spring to uh, 60 every semester and then we've been up to 120 per semester and now we're kind of stabilized at 80 a semester 80 students per semester I mean that's that's a lot of students that it feels like a lot of students mm -hmm. it's 240 cr credit hours in the fall in the fall and then 240 in the spring yeah. we do offer it in the summer and I do have every intention of working to have it be able to be taught entirely online as well. Wow, that's cool. I think that'd be really cool. And you know, that's an interesting thing because I, I, when I was in college, I think my, I don't even remember what I took as a creative art, but it was something like history, art history, or no, I took the history of landscape architecture and that mm -hmm. counted as a creative art too. Uh, but is this the only hands-on creative art, like as a core curriculum course, or are there other ones you can do where? They really don't even encourage hands-on for the creative arts because really they just want you to think about it and not actually do it because then it's kind of a craft. They really want just the thought processes that go behind uh, creative arts. So I do believe that we are one of the few hands-on creative arts. Yeah, instead of just like the idea of art. Right. We have a two-hour lecture and a two-hour lab for a three-hour class. Okay. Well, and it seems like the students that come through here and, and do that and really enjoy it. They, they seem to really enjoy it. And in fact, like looking out my window in my office, there's a, a group of uh, uh, floral design lab students walking out in the hallway to do design. So um, that's pretty cool. So what, um, you know, let's, I think we'll talk a little bit and we, we may come back to circle around back to this a little bit, but what got you into uh, horticulture? Because you've done... I mean, a lot in the industry from uh, landscaping to, to floral design and, and a few other things. So what got you into it? How did you get started? I, I was born into horticulture. I always just liked horticulture. It's not that my parents were into horticulture. Um, I just started digging and planting from the day I was born. I just had to do it. I had to be out in the yard. I had to be planting marigolds. That's the earliest memory I have. Yeah. And supposedly I was less than two and was planting marigolds. That's pretty cool. So that's pretty cool. Well, and like, you know, that's an interesting, so like a desk job just never cut it for you. I would never know. Like you never had one. This is as close to a desk job as I've ever had. Yeah. And, it, and it's really not like now you can ask my students it's not for me <laughs> <laughs> sitting around and no no well no and i know you're you're out here at the greenhouse a lot working with your staff and um you know just doing things out in the at the, the farm yeah just anything that's outside and not mm -hmm. not sitting behind not the computer sitting screen. behind the screen no can't do it so just as far as your career goes you know you started off like in it early like young and and have spent your whole life doing plant stuff in one way or the other but what is like what did you do for a career how did that well my first commercial enterprise was when i was 12. i had a greenhouse and a vegetable garden and i grew plants for 
um, Strike It Rich BW Nursery in San Angelo, Texas. And then when I was 14, I went to work for them. Wow. So, yeah, like literally a lifetime of like a plant business yes so what mm-hmm. kind like what kind of plants did you grow and like did you just like build a little greenhouse in your backyard what did you do uh we had a shed and we built a lean-to greenhouse on the next two uh on the side of it but it was uh it was 20 by 16 feet so it was oh, a pretty wow. good size yeah uh, it was heated by kerosene heaters in the winter okay so every every morning i had to get up at two uh, to go refill the kerosene wow so that things wouldn't freeze uh, i did a lot of uh petunia baskets uh swedish ivy airplane plants all of that um but then in the vegetable garden i did a lot of the yellow pear tomatoes uh they were popular back then so i grew tons and tons of those yeah i, I was trying to think like i don't i don't really know what i was doing at 12 years old but it was not running a business or getting up at two in the morning. Yeah, I was getting up at two in the morning to to relight the kerosene heaters and uh, growing growing horticulture crops. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty. I mean, like, and I've uh, you know myself, I've we've talked about this a little bit before, but like I've always been into plants. Again, some of my earliest memories were, uh, you know, gardening with my grandfather growing up. But like, that's you know, I I went a different route getting into college initially and ended up here, but. Um, that's pretty cool. So, uh, you know, that's, I guess where you started then now you've, you've run a landscape company for quite a while and you've done a, you've run a florist shop. Is that correct? Yes. Um, I stayed with BW nursery for a long time and then I went and did lawn maintenance for the highway department and then actually looked at, uh, working for the highway department in their roadside beautification, which was getting real big mm-hmm. in the late seventies, which is when I was doing this. Uh, but I decided to come to Texas Tech, got involved with Ed Zukakis and worked with him on his interior plant maintenance. And then um, I graduated in 1983, and there really wasn't a lot of opportunity out there for recent grads. And so I decided to go to graduate school. And so I worked with uh, Dr. Carol Robacker working with tissue culture. But in the meantime, Dr. Mary, Dr. Mary Helen Camp introduced me to um, college flowers. Hmm. And um, at college flowers, I met a lot of influential people. And um, so I ended up buying college flowers with a business partner, Kelly Marble, in 1985, 86. Okay. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that, and that kind of like hits several different parts of this industry. I I mean, and and it's interesting because I think that people think about, uh, I I don't know, horticulture is, I'm not sure people do think about it a lot. You know, it just out in the, out in the world, but it's such a big field and there's so many things you can do in horticulture that like, I don't know, maybe we do ourselves a disservice sometimes by not like having this conversation, right? Right. Not not promoting it and not saying that it is horticulture, you know, and uh, not showing people all the different aspects of it and the way that it can be involved in their life. You know, like the whole idea of horticulture and floriculture in Europe is way different people are surrounded by flowers and plants all the all the time and uh out here we think tend to think of it as 
something for special occasions. Yeah. Like you go and you get a, a floral arrangement for a wedding or, or yeah. a party or whatever, instead of it being yeah, every like, day. Yeah. Part of your life. And, yeah. you know, and I don't know if that's a West Texas thing or a United States thing or, or what. I mean, it's, I think it's definitely a West Texas thing, but I don't know if it goes farther than that. But. I think it does. I think it goes further than that. I think it's more of a United States thing. I think, you know, um, we're not that old as a country and everybody had to struggle and everything was work oriented and a lot of times we don't think about the luxuries the small luxuries yeah and uh being surrounded by plants and having cut flowers is kind of small luxuries that a lot of people don't think about that really can have some nice impact on your life oh sure one you know they've done studies at a lot of places that you know having indoor plants or indoor color or things like that is great for your health and Mm -hmm. you know your, your mental health as much as anything else um but yeah and i think we think of and, and it's interesting because i think we think of like oh i'm gonna go buy flowers and i'm gonna spend however many dollars you know flowers are not cheap like arrangements are not cheap but you know people can grow their own flowers i think that's that's a, a big thing is people should be growing their own gardens and flowers. well and what's funny is if if they're growing them frequently they're not cutting them and taking them inside right and most of our flowers if you cut them then they grow right back and so yeah. you can't cut them to the ground but you can cut the the blooms off enjoy the blooms inside and still have the plant outside and have it growing uh, producing more flowers well and you know and like uh, deadheading is a very common practice right where your, your flowers get spent like outdoors on the plants and then you go and cut off a but we wait till they're dead right like, yeah and you don't have to wait till they're dead no you cut them whenever yeah uh, and in fact, it's better if you probably, or at least, you know, you can get more utility out of them. Uh, you know, and I think in the U.S., we don't spend enough time out in our landscapes and out in our gardens. We kind of, you know, that's out there. And we treat it like, uh, you know, I think we're maybe, this may be a bit of a tangent, but I don't know. I, I don't think so. I think that we treat our landscapes a lot like a burden and our gardens a lot like a burden instead of a opportunity or a part of our home i mean is that something you saw a lot when you were landscaping that people just didn't want to do it or yeah um and uh i see it more and more everybody's like i want to know maintenance garden and there is no such thing right you you have to take care of it and but it shouldn't it shouldn't be a burden um no more than anything else is that we have to do as human beings to live in a society yeah um and having a lovely yard is is just so nice to go home to yeah well and i think about like the quote-unquote like chores or house things i have to do i would much rather go like work in a flower bed than do dishes or laundry Oh yeah, laundry's the worst. <laughs> well, and then like you know, you take it out and you just it sits in a chair till forever. Yeah, till forever. Yeah. Um, Not only do you have to wash and dry it, but you have to fold it and then you have to put it away. Yeah. Yo, I never. <laughs> I pretty much just don't. I've just given up. I think it moves from like the bed to the chair and then back to the bed, and you know, depending on where I need to be. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. I'm, I'm pretty bad at that. Uh, so. So I'm I'm curious too, like, so you've taught a, a variety of different classes and, you know, we kind of have, we teach a lot of students in our department, um, in, in the horticulture group for sure. So like, you know, between your class of 80 to 100, you know, around 100, 120, um, in our introductory horticulture class and entomology and all the other things, we're teaching 
in horticulture and related fields, you know, hundreds and hundreds of students. Like, why do you think that some of our courses are so popular? Like, what what is it that's drawing all these like non-majors and people from around the university to come be a part of it? I think they can see it working into their life. I think that they can see a benefit for it in the future. Some of the people that take floral design are going to be involved in a friend's wedding and they want to help with the flowers. Um, you see a lot of people um, taking horticulture because they're going to uh, be building a new house or their parents are building a new house and they want to help with that. Uh, definitely with all the pollinator studies out there, everybody's interested in that and people are wanting to find out about it. So that's why they take entomology. Yeah, I, I, That's what I think. Yeah, well, and you know, we this is very much a practical field, right? Like everyone has to take a science credit, whether you're a history major or an art it doesn't you everyone has to take science credit and fine arts and fine arts and and i think about it like nothing against our chemistry friends out there but like i would rather take a hands-on like plant lab than intro chemistry again any day i'll probably yeah i'll probably get a a nasty uh, assuming anyone listens to this i'll probably get a nasty email eventually but um well but there's chemistry in everything that that we teach and the students that see that and get interested in that can then go on and get more involved with the the chemical applications of things that we do well that's very true and and you know i think but the plant is the basis for everything yeah oh it is life in general yeah you know we don't without plants we don't exist it doesn't matter life does not exist you know and and people are like well i don't really eat that many plants well yeah but your your hamburger does yeah like your your food eats plants. Every it's the it's the bottom of that's a base of every ecosystem. You know, if you like breathing or eating, you should care about plants. You should care about plants. And you know, with all the all the you know discussion about you know without getting political about it, all the discussion about like climate change and all the things that go on, learning about how to maintain plants and maintain ecosystems, which we do talk about some, uh, is pretty important. I think I think it's kind of a big deal. Um. So, I'm so I, I want to talk a little bit about like your some of your experience with being an educator because you've done a lot and I think uh, we talked one time about some of the work you've done in like how to I don't know I don't I'm probably going to say this wrong but like how to motivate students or how to help them be more successful. You were talking about a presentation you gave one time. I, t- tell me a little bit about that. Motivating students is one of the things that I work hard at every day is trying to reach them and figure out what it is that they need out of this class or what they need out of life or what I can do to help them learn. Um, And every year it seems to be either harder or different or what worked last year doesn't work this year. So I, I try a lot of different things. Uh, to to motivate students. Uh, when I teach, I do a lot with PowerPoints. I do a lot with interactive learning. I'll flip the classroom where they come in knowing the subject and um, then they'll teach it to each other and we'll do roundtable discussions. Uh, so we don't just sit in the class and listen to a lecture. It's, it's right. very interactive, even the lecture part, uh, as well as the hands-on. They'll learn about the Egyptians and the Romans uh, making and wearing wreaths 
uh, in ancient uh, times, and then in lab they'll they'll make a wreath, they'll make a headdress, right? And uh, so actually, they can see what we've talked about coming to life. Uh, but still, it's hard to motivate students because they have so much going on, and uh, just one more thing seems to to them to slow them down. But sometimes I think slowing down and and enjoying what you're learning is really important. Well, yeah, absolutely. And and you've been I mean you've been teaching a little while now. So have you seen? And and I think this is something we we maybe talk about in education of how the the college student has uh, like evolved or changed or changed perspectives over the past 10 years or so. Is that something you notice that it's like you've had to update quite a bit to keep? Yes. Um, we're seeing more and more students coming from urban centers. And so they don't have quite the basis of gardening understanding that a lot of our West Texas students hmm. would have had or our small town uh, people would have had. Um, even FFA, you see FFA. FFA changing a lot now and floral design is very big in FFA. Yeah. They can do it in in the municipal cities. They can do it in Dallas. They can do it in Houston. They may not be able to grow or raise a hog or, or sheep, but they can uh, grow flowers yeah. and they can use flowers and do floral design. So um, San Antonio, uh, the stock show rodeo has offered for two years now so this year would be the third year of floral design competition and they award the winner a ten thousand dollar scholarship wow to the university of their choice that's a big scholarship that's a big scholarship for taking an, an exam uh, yeah. the kid that won last year had only competed five other times and so you know that's the same amount of money for the student that raised a yeah a hog oh yeah and spent and months with that months and, and a lot of money and and a lot of money and maybe that won their first hog yeah you know you there's a lot of students that don't win now we did have over 400 entries in that so he was wow. one in 400 but but still so. i mean you think about like how big the like you said the stock show industry is in texas i don't know yeah i mean it's an industry I'll, I'll i'll call it that or the stock show world is. yeah the syndicate yeah <laughs> yeah or something yeah no that's that's maybe not a bad word for it um but yeah so the fact that you can study for a test learn a little bit about floral design about plants and do just as well is 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 a big thing it's a real big thing well and and i just think that that you know if you look at the the university or like horticulture programs nationwide um the focus is changing some, I think, and we're losing some programs entirely. So what are your thoughts on that? Do you feel like we're in dying field? Do you feel like we've maybe lost uh, lost perspective a little bit? That is a definite yes. And the reason is because applied horticulture is not valued the way that it should be. Mm -hmm. Applied horticulture where you've got someone that knows how to prune a tree, an arborist that knows how to take care of that tree, where you have someone that can grow the plants. That is not being funded at university levels. It's not being appreciated at university levels, and it's not being taught anymore at university levels. Right. So you have all these people that are into the molecular engineering or the, the, the genome mapping um, are, um, looking at anthocyanins or whatever is in the plant. Sure. But if you don't have the person that knows how to grow the plant, 
then it really doesn't matter. Yeah. But nobody is interested in funding applied horticulture. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, that's really tough. Cause you know, um, you know, when we, we do talk about, you know, basic versus applied science a lot, but yeah, those, those programs where you take the practical lab sciences like you're talking about and actually, you know, the, there is an art and a science to how you put a plant in the ground, you know, from seed to, to everything else. Yes, there is. And the people, and people need to learn how to do that. And horticulturists that are studying, the engineering need to know how to do that. They need to know how to grow plants in greenhouses too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Uh, well, and you know, I think you and I were fortunate in a lot of ways that we got a lot of the, you know, whether it was at the, the family level growing up or at the university level or just in our careers, we've had a lot of the applied science. Like we've learned how to do that stuff, but uh, well, we didn't have to wait until we were 22 to learn how to use a shovel. That's very true. Or a broom. That's very true. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that there's, you know, and, and one thing that I, I think we do a good job of in our applied horticulture fields is not just uh, delivering information. You know, we do that, right? We, we There's a lot of science. It's real science, and people don't think about it that way, but... We do a lot of real science. Uh, you know, if you've really looked at the whole, like, you know, people are like, oh, photosynthesis, they turn light into food, whatever, sugar, which is true. But if you look at that whole process, it's incredibly complicated. Oh, and, photosynthesis is so complicated. And it, in fact, at my, uh, uh, um, uh, not my defense, my, my brain just went blank too. No, my um, uh, comprehensive exams, they pretty much asked me, like, tell me about photosynthesis. And my brain was like, nope. Nope, just gone. It was just gone. I whiffed, swung three times and missed every time. So, yeah, uh, it's complicated. Um, but like, you know, so we we teach that. But I think we do a good job of like teaching our or trying our best to teach our students how to actually apply that information, how to actually use it to think critically about what we're giving them, uh, and you know, develop actual life skills. I think that's kind of a big thing. I do too. And it's not just the concept of photosynthesis, it's how it affects the plant. If it's not photosynthesizing, then what's it doing and why is it doing it? Yeah. And how does the, the environment around it affect uh, that? Right. And so not just here's the chemical like formula and process, but right. It's all the things that go into it or come out of it. Exactly. If it's warmer, if it's colder, if it's shadier or sunnier, what does that do to that process? So that's interesting. Um, I want to kind of wrap up. We'll change gears just a little bit, but I want to wrap up a little bit by talking about some of the ornamental horticulture research that you're doing. Like you're, you're leading this ornamental horticulture research group I uh, here at Texas Tech. So talk a little bit about that. Tell me what, uh, um, what does that involve? What are you trying to do? Well, ornamental horticulture is also losing yes people's interest and i just don't understand why i love ornamental horticulture i'm i am an ornamental horticulturist and that means that i like to grow plants for their ornamental use for their beauty and um there is a great need for that um so I started this ornamental horticulture research group. It's got graduate students. It's got uh, uh, PhDs and and uh, others involved in it. We do research with our trial gardens, and we also do research with lavender, and we are doing research uh, with wildflowers. Okay. 
Okay. Well, and, and, you know, I think the, the work that y'all do with wildflowers is really interesting because it's, people are like, oh, they're just wildflowers. No, I mean, but like we improve them. We figure out which ones are bigger and better. And we, how many, do you know how many releases we have out in the industry? Uh, I, I know that Cynthia has released at least three or four. Yeah. So, so that means, you know, you go and could be up to five. And I think that we've got four right now that are really close to being released and they are true wildflower selections Mm -hmm. and improvements. It's still a wildflower. So we haven't lost that. Um, but it's either got longer blooming characteristics Mm -hmm. or fits the garden better somehow. Yeah, it's it's more yeah, no, that's really cool. Like you take those traits of toughness that you think of in a wildflower that it'll grow anywhere on native rainfall. Uh and you figure out how to make it fill that niche better in the landscape. Cause you know, people people don't know. They go to the, the box store and look at flowers and it may be the toughest little plant in the world, but if the flowers aren't big and impressive and if it doesn't look great, it's not gonna get bought. They're not gonna buy it. It's just yeah. Unless they know about it. And that's something that, uh, else that we want to do with the Ornamental Horror Research Group is educate. We want people to be able to see things. We want to have our field days like we just had. Yeah. Uh, we want to have uh, farm field days where people can come out and see uh, the wildflowers growing uh, in their natural environment. Yeah. Well, and that's and that's such a big deal, too, because it's, you know, we I, I think people joke a lot that, uh, you know, you go to the grocery store and you ask someone, where does the milk or you, you ask them, where, where does their milk come from? And they say the grocery store. And, you know, that that's tongue in cheek or whatever. But I think that's very much true in the landscape industry, too, is like, well, where does this plant grow? Like, well, at blue or orange box store. Right. Or or the nursery or wherever. And I just picked it up there and that's where it came from. That's where it started when. You know, I think folks don't understand that we found these, not you and I necessarily, but like horticulturists found these plants out in nature and said this would fit in the landscape and improved it. And through years and years of selection, we come up with the beautiful plants you see at the garden center. That's correct. And, you know, from my trial gardens here and from the wildflower gardens, they're huge pollinator gardens. Yeah. They are huge. We have bumblebees. We have native honeybees. We have butterflies. We have hummingbirds. Just hundreds and hundreds of pollinators covering our plants all the time. All the time. And, you know, we talked about how the, the plants are the, the bottom rung of our ecosystem. Well, pollinators are probably step two, right? Without those plants, without those pollinators, we don't eat. We don't breathe. We don't That's do all, right. all that stuff. And so... You know, I think being able to maintain attractive landscapes that are still pollinator friendly and that are still, you know, because a native pollinator, some of them are, there are some that are generalists that'll go and forage on anything, but some of them need those native plants, those wildflowers. That's what they feed on and that's it. So even if they're improved in the landscape, uh, they're still that plant. That's right. And that's really cool. Um, so the, I think, no, that's, that's really awesome. And so if, and if you are, you know, local in Lubbock, or if you ever come through Lubbock, definitely come visit our trial gardens here at the, the tech greenhouse on campus and the tech garden on campus, because, you know, Russ and his crew do a, a lot of work maintaining that and picking or 
taking the selections that were sent and implementing them well and all of those things. Um, so the, the last thing I want to ask you before we wrap up, we've done about half an hour so far, but um, where do you see this industry going? Um, you know, whether it's on the, the ornamental side or the, the food production side or whatever side you're most comfortable talking about, like in 10 years, what is what is our role as horticulturists look like? Where do we go from here? I've thought a lot about that, and at one point, I'll be honest, I really thought that maybe we would all disappear, like the dinosaurs. (laughs) But I think global change, I think water restrictions are actually going to make us viable again Hmm. and make applied horticulture very important because without without applied horticulturists that know what can grow under extreme circumstances, then we're all just living in a desert. Yeah. And deserts are okay if you have an oasis. Right. And if we have just a little bit of water and if we use it wisely, then we can still have really beautiful yards, really beautiful flowers, and a nice environment to live in. But if we're not careful, then it's going to end up like the salt flats in California and people don't live there. No, it's true. Yeah, it just turns into turns into desert. Like you said, it turns into nothing. And, uh, you know, one of the things we talk about is like the hotter it gets, the hotter it gets. The more desert there is, the more desert you get. And and like you said, these high value crops and these tough crops that can live in extreme conditions are so important. Uh, you know, there's, we're, we're ending up with, uh, or there's more and more people that need to eat, right. And need to breathe and need to have some quality of life. So I, I, I agree with you. I think that, uh, you know, I, I, I think that's kind of a scary and sad thought that, that there was a chance that, oh, maybe we, this won't be a thing that's done anymore and mm-hmm. disappear. But no, I think I agree with you that we we're still very relevant and that we'll continue to be very, I hope, I hope so anyway. I hope that we kind of turn that corner and people care about plants and things again. I think so. Um, It's real funny. You see a lot of older people out really appreciating the plants and all the kids do. Yeah. It's just that people who are so busy with their life that they don't take time to enjoy their life. And if they would spend just a little bit more time with nature and what's out there, I think they benefit so much more from it. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's probably a good positive note to end on that, uh, you know, go outside. Go outside. Just just spend some time in the garden or come walk around ours sometime. So uh, wrapping up, is there anything that you want to like plug real quick, any projects or anything like that that we haven't discussed? Just keep an eye on the gardens. Uh, Vikram and I are really excited about what we're doing here. Uh, We hope to start a video podcast at some point and we'll be interviewing gardeners in town and around. And uh, I hope that uh, that works out. But um, come see us. Come see what's going on and tell others. Um, We hope to 
have Christmas lights up in the garden uh, this yeah. year. In the spring, we're planning to do another field day. It's hard to get people interested in a fall field day because they've worked hard all summer. It's been hot and they don't want to think about it. And uh, so in the spring, maybe we can catch them when they're fresh. And then coming back in the next fall, we hope to have uh, some pumpkins out here and a lot going on. So it's going to be a year of fun at the greenhouse. So just think about it and come see us. All right. Hey, thanks for coming on, Russ. I really appreciate it. And uh, you're at, um, we'll get you on again at some point, probably coming up on the Springfield Day and stuff like that. That'd so. be great. All right. Uh, thanks for listening, as always. Um, listen to where you can find us and all the info in the um, outro segment. And uh, we will see you next time. Like past Vikram said, that dear, sweet summer child, thanks for listening. You are the very best. Thanks to the Department of Plant and Soil Science here at Texas Tech University for all their support and for believing in this little podcast and just seeing the vision. Um, thanks also to Russ Plamen for being on, for chatting about his experience with all of us. Uh, you can find his information and more information about the Ornamental Horticulture Research Group in the show notes. Thank most of all to you, dear listener. We couldn't do what we do, and it wouldn't be any fun to do so without you. Um, You get a special bonus treat next week. We're actually going to do a bonus episode a week from today on Christmas Eve. I don't want to ruin the surprise, but the special guest is someone that is near and dear to my heart. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of everything we do. And I will see you seven days from today on Christmas Eve, December 24th. Keep being really cool plant people.